Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. And we are almost towards the end of this series Uh, But we have been looking at the book of Romans as a backdrop to what it is to be the church. We're called to be the church. And this book of Romans is an interesting book because this is Paul writing to a group of people uh, that he had not met. This was not a church that he had planted. These weren't people that he uh, was familiar with at all. And so he's saying, my intention is to come and visit you. And when I come, this is the message that I will be bringing. And so what the book of Romans in the New Testament gives us is a very, very clear explanation of the gospel. And that's helpful for us as the church because we need to know what the message is that we carry, what the message is that we represent. Last time we began looking at uh, the issue of sin. And Paul addresses this Uh, in chapter 6 of the book of Romans. And he introduces this by essentially saying, guys, here's what you need to know. And what we dug into last time was the fact that our identity is in Christ Jesus. What was true of Jesus, if we are born again believers, in effect is true of us. We, We talked about what the power of sin is in our lives. And I don't have time to fully recap that today. But he starts off by saying, here's some truths that you need to know. And today we're going to take that to the next step and say, well, how do we live in the light of those truths? How how does this flow over into everyday living? Romans 6 and 15. It's a youth camp thing, but I think it's actually awesome. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin... You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you were weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness." When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We live in an age of unprecedented options and choices. Uh, We have choices available to us absolutely 
everywhere. I was in Bunnings the other day. I love getting Bunnings gift cards for Father's Day. Uh, but there's this peculiar paradox. When you're in Bunnings and you have no money, there's a million things you want to buy. When you've got a gift card, you have, haven't got a clue what you want to get. And, and I, I had a couple of attempts, I've got to be honest. First time I was there for two hours and came away with nothing. Uh, last time I, it was much more successful. But I've got to be honest, I'm standing there in one of the aisles looking at an item that was on sale in Bunnings. So if it's on sale in Bunnings, you know it's pretty cheap. But I still got my phone out and Googled if I could get it cheaper elsewhere. Uh, true confession. Thank you, Sally. Yes, uh, Sally, a.k.a. Mrs. Garage Sale. Uh, Sally loves garage sales. Anyway, the point is we live in this age of unprecedented options and choices and online shopping uh, has just bombarded us with every choice available under the sun. But... I think as we dig into this text today, we recognize that there is an incredibly important choice that we have to make. In fact, I think it's the most important choice that we have to make in life. And the choice, according to Romans chapter 6, is this. But I'm not going to give the Bible reference. That was just a reference to Romans chapter 6, but I'm not doing the Bible reference just yet. Yeah, that's good, guys. That's great. We want to foster that, don't we? Uh, let's get excited about the Word of God. But in Romans 6, in Romans 6, Paul basically outlines this, and this is the choice we have to make. Who or what is going to be our master in life? What is it that masters us? And the reason I suggest this is the most important choice and decision we have to make in life is because everything else will flow out of how we respond to that choice. Everything else in my life will be an outworking of that choice that I make. Who is my master? And the whole of chapter 6 of the book of Romans basically outlined, how does the Christian lead a holy life? And we'll unpack what that means a bit later. And this chapter is divided into two halves. We looked at the first half last time. And it begins the question, uh, Romans 6 and 1. What shall we say then? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And Paul immediately, immediately answers his own question. He says, by no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And last time we talked at length about what it means to die to sin. But today, as I said, we want to know how does that play out in life? We've died in Christ. We have been risen with Christ into newness of life. So how does that impact our everyday? Last time we talked about being one with Jesus. Now, now Paul goes on and talks about our obedience to God. But interestingly, Paul uses a much stronger word than obedience. He actually uses the word slaves. Romans 6.16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to life. So two options he gives us, we can be slaves to righteousness or we can be slaves to sin, which leads to death. 
And in the first part of the chapter, Paul actually talks about us being instruments. In verse 13, he says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Now, I'm a musician. I love this picture of instruments, even though it can, there's a whole bunch more instruments other than musical instruments. But, but we are instruments, uh, implements in the hands of God. We are his instruments, his instruments of righteousness. We present ourselves to God and then God, by His Holy Spirit, uh, causes us to be the instruments that He uses to display His righteousness in and through us. But then here in the second part of the chapter, He talks about offering ourselves, again, not as instruments this time, but as slaves. And He says we've got that choice. We're either a slave to sin or a slave to obedience. So let's unpack this quickly today. And we get hung up on this word slavery because quite rightly, uh, culturally for us in the 21st century, slavery is very, very much a dirty word. But Paul says in verse 19, I put this in human terms. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm giving to you an example that would be really, really familiar to you guys. So there is a cultural context here that Paul is saying, I'm using slavery as an example of something that you guys are really familiar with so that you will understand my meaning. And to us in the 21st century, slavery is something that is so far removed from our experience, but it was really, really familiar for the readers of this letter in the church in Rome. In first century Rome, there would have been a huge percentage of the population uh, that were either slaves or of a slave origin. Many of the people in the church in Rome were slaves. Many of those people were not slaves by choice. Uh, they had been purchased. They had been captured through, through war or they had been born uh, to parents who themselves were in slavery and they remained the possession of their masters. But there was also a thing under Roman law as voluntary slavery where you could go and offer yourself as a slave to somebody. You would receive an income. Uh, slaves under that law did have benefits. You could eventually purchase your freedom. Uh, for example, if you had been somebody that was living in absolute desperate poverty, you could go and offer yourself to somebody as a slave and, re and receive the benefits of voluntary slavery. So there were many voluntary slaves in Rome. And Paul seems to make reference to that in verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? So he says, when you offer yourself to someone. And he says, you guys know this. This is familiar to you. For some of you in the church reading this letter or having this letter read to you, this is actually your station in life. This is your lived experience. You are actually a slave. But then Paul takes it one step further as he gives this picture, this example. And he says, listen, guys, I want to tell you, actually, every single one of you are slaves. And the two options he gives is that we're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to obedience. And friends, we live in a world today 
not only where we uh, uh, have so many choices, particularly in the consumer world, but uh, we live in a, a world where we, we, we champion the cause of freedom of choice. But there is a truth that we find in this lesson that our freedom, in fact, is limited to one choice, and that is who is going to be the master of my life. And everything else we do, every ambition, everything we spend our money on, how we use our free time, everything else we do is an expression of who is the master of my life. And Paul is so cut and dry. He outlines only two options. It's either obedience to God or it's not. And he goes one step further and says, well, guys, if it's not obedience to God, then whatever else it is, is actually sin. And firstly, he talks about slavery to sin. We look at Paul's wording in verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether to sin or to disobedience. Now notice the wording. He says, when you offer yourself. That means you choose your master. This is a decision you make. And and, and you can be in slavery to sin. And friends, sin is a very real issue in our fallen world and it is a very real issue in our human state. In 1 John 1 and 8. Glad we did that. John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. And Paul actually talks on a number of occasions about the things that we can become a slave to. For example, Uh, In 1 Corinthians 7 and 23, he says, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. And so he's talking about the things that can control us. And he says, don't become slaves to men. And even today, perhaps even more than Paul's day, there are so many people that are slaves to men. There are so many people today living in slavery to the opinions that other people have of you. And we have an absolute crisis amongst young people today because of social media where image culture is absolutely off the charts. And the expectation of image perfection is literally driving countless young people to a place of total, total despair. And to use Paul's terminology, they are absolutely enslaved to the need for clicks and likes and the approval of others. And Paul says it's a slavery, it's a form of slavery and it's sinful. You're being slaves to the opinions and the approval of other people. And even for mature adults, we can easily fall into the trap of trying to please everybody around us. And again, it's a very easy form of slavery that we can fall into. We fall into the trap of being people pleasers, of trying to please everybody around us. And it it just puts us in absolute bondage. So slavery to sin can involve being in slavery to men. 
Paul also talks in Galatians 2 about slavery to legalism. And we unpack that in detail in an earlier part of this series. But he says in Galatians 2 and 4, This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. So the church in Galatia, there was some false teachers who had come and infiltrated the church and they did not like the good news of the freedom and the grace that we find in Christ Jesus. And in their opinion, and this was the, this was the message that they were spreading, they were saying that's just going to lead to unbridled sin. So we need to get back to the familiar constraints of the law because we know that it is only the observance of the law that puts us in righteous right standing before God. And Paul addresses this in uh, verse 16 of chapter 2. For we know that a man is not justified by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. So there's a second form of slavery that Paul is mentioning and that is the slavery to legalism. Uh, Peter mentions in 2 Peter 2 and 19, he talks about being a slavery to depravity. So uh, um, these false prophets promised them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Slaves of depravity. So Paul says you can be a slavery to men, you can be a slavery to the law, to legalism. Peter says you can be a slavery to depravity and they are all different aspects and I'm sure there's countless others, uh, uh, aspects of being slaves to sin. And friends, you become a slave to sin when the area of sin that you might be wrestling with in your life begins to rule and govern everything that you do. And this happens because we... we we choose to surrender to it. We choose to submit to it. And Paul goes on to explain that once sin gets a foothold, it quickly gets out of control. Verse 19 of Romans 6, Just as you used, uh, you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. So notice the wording. He says, uh, you're, when you are a slave to impurity, it is ever increasing. And, and friends, I will remind you, as I say often, sin is never ever your friend because it is never passive. And if you ever think that I can control this sin, I can contain this sin, I can put boundaries around this sin, nobody will know about this sin, I've got it all under control, you are absolutely fooling yourself and the devil says, i got a foothold right there. Friends, sin impact, if sin's impact will always grow, its effect grows, it will always escalate in your life. Because part of the problem is that when we are willfully sinning, we are fighting against 
the conscience that God has given us. And if we can kind of tame down our conscience, it becomes easier and easier to sin. But the thing is, our conscience is a very, very fragile thing. And it is through our conscience that the Holy Spirit brings conviction. And friends, this is something that we must guard. We must guard this most fragile part of us, which is that conscience that God gives us and the conviction that the Holy Spirit will bring to us. How do you know if you've damaged your conscience? Well, it becomes easier and easier and easier to commit that same sin. Again, sin is never, ever passive. And Paul talks about ever increasing wickedness. Interestingly, in Genesis chapter 4, God said to Cain in verse 7, But if you do not do what is right, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it because if you don't master it, it will master you. And friends, that right there is slavery to sin. So Paul says, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. So there's a question. What is the benefit that sin brings? It is shame and it is spiritual death, separation from God. And here's the thing, and I've threatened on a number of occasions to actually preach a message called Sin is Fun. Because if sin was not attractive, if it was not alluring, if there was not something that, that seemed pleasurable about it in the short term, we wouldn't wrestle with it and we wouldn't have a problem with it. Sin is fun. It appears to be attractive. But the thing is, it soon very, very, very quickly uh, will cause you to come unstuck. Numbers 32 and 23 says, be sure your sin will find you out. There we go. <laughs> is that a basketball reference? No, it's not. Okay, that's all good. Be sure your sins will find you out. The only gift that sin will bring to you, the only benefit, to use that terminology, is shame and separation from God, spiritual death. Now, that's all pretty depressing. We've talked about slavery to sin. But the other choice is slavery to God. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that although you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And he talks about wholehearted obedience, which indicates that this is a very deliberate response. You used to be slaves to sin, but then something changed and now you have obeyed. Your whole, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted and you became slaves to righteousness. And friends, this is why one of the key issues in living the Christian life is actually choosing obedience. And I can't stress this point enough. Obedience is not just us trying to do our best for God and trying to live a disciplined life. Uh, that in its base form is actually humanizing the Christian life. And that becomes very legalistic. 
because this is not something you and I have to do. First Thessalonians 5 and 24, the one who calls you is faithful. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. God will do this. God will do this for you. And as we submit to God in obedience, it is also a submission to the Holy Spirit who lives in us and empowers us and enables us to do what God has called us to do. So obedience is not just this disciplined living to a certain set of parameters and boundaries. Obedience to God is saying, God, here I am by your Holy Spirit. Fill me to overflowing. Would you, Holy Spirit, live the life of Jesus through me? And Thessalonians tells us it is God who will do that. And that's why obedience is a key ingredient. Verse, uh, verse 16 of Romans 6, Don't you know that when you offer yourself to somebody to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Verse 18, You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And as we looked at, I think, way back in part 1, one of the underlying themes, one of the main themes in the book of Romans is restoring the righteousness of God into our human experience. Seeing the righteousness of God restored into our experience. And friends, it is the righteousness of God that replaces sin. And I want you to get a hold of this this morning. This is so important. The way righteousness replaces sin is not by becoming preoccupied by uh, overcoming sin. That can be a mistake. And sometimes we, we just focus and we concentrate on our sin and, and, and dealing with our sin. We become totally preoccupied with it and we're thinking about it over and over and over again. And we don't overcome it. So what's the key then? In Romans 8 and 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. So the way to conquer sin in your life is not to just focus on it in order to try and overcome it. It is not mind over matter. Maybe that works for some people, but I think for the vast majority, including me, uh, that is just destined for failure. It's not mind over matter. Friends, the way to overcome sin, listen to this, is to replace it. Replace it. Replace whatever uh, that sin is and however that occupies your life. Replace it. You set your mind on the things of God and that's so, why it is so important for us to be open Bible people. We've got to be people who know the heart of God, know the mind of God. And, and again, as I said to the youth last week, you know, the Bible is not some kind of antiquated religious text. It is a living word. And because it is a living word, it puts us in touch with the heartbeat of God, which is His Holy Spirit in us. And if you want to get to know the Holy Spirit, if you want to get to know God, if you want to get to know Jesus, you get to know Him through the written Word. The written Word reveals the living Word. And so we've got to be open Bible people and we meditate upon that. And again, it's not because it's some kind of magical book that if I read a little bit, it means my day is going to be perfect. 
No, as we read it, as we meditate on it, as we think about it, we find ourselves being more and more consumed by the things that draw us towards the righteousness of God. That's why Philippians 4 and 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Allow those things to occupy your mind. And can I say, it's not in my notes, but it's an aside, we have got to fill our mind with this stuff, which means some of us have got to stop scrolling and start opening the words of God, start getting out and, and recognizing that our awesome God who reveals himself in creation is all around us and allow that to be the thing that fuels us, not clicks and not scrolls. Can I hear an amen this morning? Because that is poison. That is absolute poison. It is this stuff. Choose to fill your life with what is excellent, what is lovely, what is pure, what is right, what is admirable. The things that cause us to praise God. And that will do a shift right there. That will draw you into the righteousness of God and understanding the righteousness of God. Allow those things to occupy your mind. And slavery to God, even though it's an ugly word, it's so powerfully Uh, paints the picture of this wonderful obedience to God that I'm just consumed by God. I belong to God. And as we offer ourselves to God in obedience, the Holy Spirit works then in our lives to begin to produce more and more of the righteous character of God in us. And ultimately, this is how it plays out, Romans 6 and 22. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Remember I said earlier, what is the benefit of sin? It is shame and spiritual death. What benefit do you get from being a slave to God? It is holiness and it is life. And again, let me just unpack that word holiness because it sounds a little bit self-righteous, a little bit self-important, a little bit too religious. But holiness means simply surrendering every area of your life to God so that in the way that you live, in the way that you go about your business, in the way you run your family, in the way that you spend your money, all of those activities of life are a reflection of the fact that there is somebody who rules my life, who is totally pure, and his character is being expressed in us and through us. Amen. So I'm going to invite the team to come back as I wrap this up. So Paul in this chapter says, what are we going to do with this issue of sin? The first half of the chapter, he says, here's what you need to know about our position with Jesus. We are one with Jesus. Everything that is true of Jesus is declared to be true of you and me, which means we are eternally secure in him. We have conquered the effects of sin in our lives in and through Jesus but being secure in him then is not just this kind of insurance policy in our back pocket so it means we go to heaven when we die we don't sit around passively and do nothing it requires a response 
And the response is obedient submission to God. We say, God, I want to live in obedience to you. I want to live in total dependence on you. And those two things go hand in hand, obedience and dependence. You can't separate those things. That God... You lead me, and as you lead me, you enable me. As you call me, you empower me. And then something of his character, something of his holiness begins to be seen in us. And in humility, we say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence in me. You've removed my sin. You've enabled me and empowered me. And as I submit my life to you using Paul's imagery as a slave to God, I desire to live a life that is holy. But friends, we have to submit to Him. And we've got to submit to Him daily. We wake up and say, God, today my time is yours. My resource is yours. My life is yours. My strength is yours. May your power be demonstrated and displayed in my weakness. And may His character begin to be more and more evident in us. Let's stand together as we pray this morning. Father, I just thank you for each and every person here this morning. May we truly be people who hunger and thirst for your righteousness. And Father, how our world needs people who are totally living their lives in obedience to God. To use word, Paul's words, his terminology, that we would be people who know what it is to be slaves to God. Living lives in obedience and independence upon God. Father, that as we submit to you, we thank you, God, that the power of sin is broken in our lives. Doesn't mean we don't face temptation. Don't mean we don't have to face that battle. We do. But the power of sin, which is shame and spiritual separation, the power of sin is broken. And it's been replaced by the power of Jesus. And Father, I pray for each and every one of us that something of your holiness and your righteousness would be seen in us. Father, help us to be the people that you've called us to be, to be your church. This world around us needs to see empowered people, confident people, not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in our God. And we need to be people who live out the gospel every moment of every day for all to see. And Father, we pray that that would bring a harvest for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of this world, this community in Jesus' name. Make this real for us, I pray. Amen and amen.